0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Another weekend here with Rick Wagner, getting it right here on KNZZ, KGLN, and, of course, the Internet and the ships at sea, and as well as our podcast, if you want to listen to the show. And I've been promising we'd put more stuff up as podcasts, and we will, as soon as we get everything figured out, which is uh, never easy. But uh, we're 1192.7 over the air and uh, on KNZZ, and if you're listening on KGLN, we're at 980 and 101.3. So we're on four different stations right now. Say nothing about some other stuff, but I really appreciate you joining us here today. So, uh everybody have uh you know, uh let's talk economics. I know it's a boring subject sometimes. Don't turn the radio off, but it we'll make it interesting. Well, interesting in uh in a little bit of an alarming way, but interesting nevertheless. Uh so inflation's a little bit down. Yeah, sure, yo, celebration. Celebration excuse me. Uh yeah, it's like uh six point two percent. Well, that's great. Fantastic, huh? I'm sure you really noticed it. You have a lot more spending money? Sure you do. Yeah. And your, and your power bill? Yeah, that's pretty reasonable now too, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we all know better than that. Uh, the power bills are up a significant amount of money. Uh, the, let's see, the Excel company has, uh, as I remember correctly, has uh, put in for another rate increase. I think 8% is what I saw. I'll have to check on that. But, uh, it seems about right, the way things are going. So that's wonderful. And uh, I understand that it might be better now if uh, your employer just paid you in eggs rather than money since they're going to be worth more money than about anything else because of the combination of inflation and some other problems of the market. And so uh, Joe is doing a great job. As you can see, his economic policies are working. I know because he keeps telling us how great they're working. So I just, uh, I'm obviously not smart enough to see it. But I thought I'd point out a couple of things just to remember about inflation is inflation is a year-to-year measure. So if it's 6.2, 6.5, whatever the case may be, inflation reports, say, for December, that means it is that much above what it was this time last year. Now, if inflation was picking up this time last year, that means it's cumulative. Well, it's cumulative anyway. So inflation is cumulative. So if it was say 3.5% last year at this time, and now it's 6.2%, that means that it is cumulative to some extent. So that means it's 6.2% above the 3.2 or 5%. I can't remember what I said that was reported last time. So it gathers steam. Inflation is a little bit like a snowball rolling downhill, the kind that usually hits Wiley e. Coyote if you watch any of the Roadrunner cartoons. Starts small, rolls up, he looks up the hill, oh no, holds up a little sign, oops, that's it. That's kind of what inflation does. So it's not quite as celebratory when it's going down when you consider that it is still going up on a cumulative basis. Now the Fed, the Federal Reserve Board, has a target for inflation, in the United States, of about 2%. What that is, they expect the economy to grow and produce goods and services about 2% a year. That would be a good target. Sometimes it's more, since we've had Democrats, usually less. And so, occasionally, we have a shrinking, right? Two quarters of a shrinking uh, gross domestic product product is usually thought of as a recession. That was of course until Democrats got into office and then they said oh no no all that all that economic stuff is hoodoo. It's it's only what we say. So put that aside. So it's it's not an easy number to digest, but it's an easy number to see. That is if you have a memory. If you remember what things were like three months ago or six months ago and you went in to buy them. Now gas has come down some. It comes down naturally by the way in the winter because people drive less. It will go back up again in the summer. So we'll see how that works out. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve was drained down to the lowest it's been since, I don't know, early 80s. Because uh, it was very important to get that Strategic Oil Reserve down so that you could buy votes. We wouldn't want the Democrats not to be able to buy votes, now would we? So you essentially buy votes by trying to get people's mind off rapidly escalating gas prices and at least stall them or push them down a little bit by reducing the oil reserves we have for things like unimportant stuff, like war, uh, natural disasters that ruin shipping areas so we can't get oil into the country. You know, things that don't really matter. What's really important is that you hold on to power. That's what's important. This other stuff, you know, who really cares about that? That seems to be the attitude. Plus, since we're talking about economics, let's move on to an interesting one since we're talking about the debt ceiling. And I thought, you know, no matter how this debt ceiling thing is going... Let's think about what the debt really means. Remember when we were concerned about the national debt? You remember back those days? Yeah, it was like, you know, the 90s and early 2000s. And then we became much more concerned about transgenderism and systemic racism and uh people like Juicy Small Net out, uh, you know, getting a sandwich and being attacked. Those are the things became much more important. Unfortunately, in the long run, they're not going to be more important because economics is destiny to some extent. Now... We are so far in debt, we cannot logically comprehend it in terms of the amount of money. We are right now at a combined value in terms of what we owe of $34.1 trillion. Remember what we were talking about a few years ago? Remember what a trillion dollar, under Obama, a trillion dollars we were going to spend and people were just like shocked and rolling around. I was one of them. And we were talking about how much a trillion was. Now, Joe may have spent up to, depending how you figure it, maybe $6 trillion between he and, frankly, Trump was uh, not exactly tight-fisted either. But so Joe spent a huge amount of money during COVID, much of it to battle the effects of COVID, much of it to battle the effects of disastrous and idiotic policies, and much of it, the rest, to buy votes, to continue to give people something for nothing and promise them that will continue if you vote for them. So this goes on. However, USA not USA Today, the Daily Mail had a great graphic and I printed it off on Thursday because I thought it it showed a number of things that just to kind of bring this home to you. If you took hundred dollar bills, now remember I'm talking hundred dollar bills, not one dollar bills, if you took hundred dollar bills and stacked one on top of the other, and you know they're not very thick. And you put thirty-four point one trillion of them up there, that stack would be nineteen thousand five hundred and sixty-one miles high—not feet, miles. Thirty-four point one trillion one-dollar bills would be nineteen thousand five hundred and sixty-one miles high. Not that that's easy to wrap your head around either, but that's the kind of numbers we're talking about. Another one that I thought was interesting. Uh, the 34.1 trillion dollars which we owe is more than the combined value of the economies of China, Japan, Germany, and the United Kingdom. That's right; it's more than the combined value of present value of the economies of China, Japan, Germany, and the UK. A little bit more, to, you know, like Rocky, a little bit. If every U.S. household paid $1,000 a month towards the national debt, it would take over 19 years. So if everybody out there, the household has uh, some extra money, you know, you got a lot of money laying around, thousand uh, bucks, probably notice that. Just give it to the government. Uh, it would take 19 years if every single household. <laughs> we got a significant amount of households. will pay even pay any taxes, much less thousand dollars. We're certainly not need federal income tax. 19 years per taxpayer. That breaks out. To $246,876 that you owe on the national debt. Last one, this is the one that kind of bothers me in terms of just thinking about it. Our debt, that $34.1 trillion, is 120% of the gross domestic product. Now, if someone said to you, hey, I spend 20% more than everything I have and produce. Could I borrow some more money? What would you say? Would you think that person was fiscally responsible and you trust him with any more money? I don't think so. But we're kind of stuck because we owe this money to all sorts of people. China, other places, people who own bonds, people have 401ks out there that are invested in long treasury bonds, stuff like that. Something to think about. Okay, everybody, thanks for joining us here. Still Rick Wagner, getting it right. Uh, here, your political Viking out there uh, hammering away, trying to make a little headway here and there. I hope I didn't depress everybody by pointing out how much uh, money, $34.1 trillion is, since we still can't wrap our head around it. We have to yell all these sort of similes, allegores, allegorical representations of the money because that's how big it is. Now, one has to wonder when we consider how much money is out there that we're spending, how much of the money that we're sending to Ukraine you think is borrowed? Something about that it seems kind of sad. (laughs) We're borrowing money from everybody, including you, to finance things that are, I don't know, are they in our interest directly? I mean, kind of, but Uh, we know where it's going? No. Have we got any inspector generals overseeing where that money goes? Mm, Of course not. Uh, We just sort of just, I guess we're just flying over there, perhaps opening up uh, like a B-52 and uh, just dropping bales of money out. Remember when they were sending those uh, pallets full of cash to Iran uh, back in the Obama administration? (laughs) I hope that's not what's happening. Some of this stuff, I just, I worry that I don't want to know what's happening because we don't see anything to stop it. As far as this debt goes, I would be a little more optimistic than I sound to say that we are able to produce our way out of this if we would unfetter the economy, if we would stop with crushing the energy sectors, if we would stop with unduly paying everybody to vote for somebody. I'm not saying who. It's just this is kind of a thing. But you know, if you weren't paying people to vote for you, maybe that would save some money if you didn't have harebrained schemes that seem really crafted, not to protect the climate, but to come up with new ways to control the population. Those kinds of things, if we managed to cut back on those, we probably would increase productivity and we might be able to work our way out of this. The way it's going now, I'm not so confident without some major change in the way we do things. And like I've said before, One of the problems that we have now is that the administration, this Biden administration, assuming we think he's really running anything, has been really at war with the Fed over this last year. Now, I've also said, and I stand by it, and I think anybody just looks at it, was one of the reasons we're in this mess is because the Fed would not act sooner. And obviously, at least to me, has been involved in the political games that it's not supposed to be involved in, trying to keep the economy artificially zooming along and keeping interest rates far too low, Uh, keeping the bond rates, buying our own bonds, all that kind of thing, which essentially was to artificially make the economy seem robust. And it worked, except that there's a price to pay for that because – What you're doing is you're essentially throwing money that has little or no value into the economy where it cheapens the money that's already out there. And it is a a sad situation to think that that kind of damage to an economy and to a country is something that people are willing to do just to grasp onto power for another few months or maybe a year or two. As I've said before, it used to be that I think politicians were always out for themselves, like kid ourselves, but had a longer view, like, well, if we're going to damage it, it has to be our, maybe the great grandkids will pay for this stuff. Now we seem to have politicians that only see just barely past the next election. And then they're, you know, that's as far as, they, after that, who cares? It's a little bit like Louis XV, you know, after me, the deluge, right? And you just can't run a country like that. You can't run a company like that. You can't run your household like that. And so that's what we're working against out here. And, of course, we have a, a just a, a crazy government in Washington, but we also have one in our states, too. Uh, for those of you in Colorado where I'm at, uh, we have uh, just a bunch of teeny, tiny brain nut jobs in the legislature that have done crazy things. Like we are all struggling, like I talked about last week, with uh, the bags. No more plastic bags. Oh, okay. Gee, that makes perfectly good sense if you have no sense. And I started thinking about this. I thought, now, first of all, we didn't hear a lot about this until it actually kicked in, which goes along with my theory of uh, why tell anybody if it's just going to upset the Western Slope? Those guys, you know, they just get all worked up. If they don't know about it, that's what's best. And of course, they have some partners in news uh, that are apparently all in on this so they don't stir us up too much. So what happens here is that we have this strange thing where you go to Walmart now and there's no bags. Oh, wait, there are bags. You can buy some from Walmart and not just 10 cents a bag like the statute allows you to buy a paper bag for 10 cents. No, you can buy one of their bags for 74 cents. I don't know what they're paying those poor guys in Thailand or wherever they're having them made, but I'm guessing there's some profit in every one of those bags, and that's what they'd prefer that you buy, and that's why they've taken these other bags out, and I thought, but still, when this was going into effect, or rather it was being debated and things like that, why didn't we hear something about it? You would think that the retailers would be roaring out there trying to get this stopped. Oh, my gosh, look what they're doing to us. They're taking the bags away. You people at least have to know about it. What do you think? really get any of that so why did that happen well i think that it's a strange reason a a reason that of course never affects anything and that is of course money look this bag fee 10 cents a bag if they charge that walmart doesn't have that you just have to either buy one of their bags or walk out with things in you know in your pockets or in your hands but a lot of places grocery stores have the bag fee now Six cents of that fee goes to the state, right? You pay a dime for a paper bag. Six cents goes to the state and four cents goes to the retailer. Now, I don't know exactly what those bags cost anymore, but I think it's probably less than four cents. And think about it. They're giving them away for free before when they were plastic. And they also had paper bags if you wanted them. So, I think there's some money involved there. And some of these places that don't provide bags at all and are in the business of selling you their bags, it has got to be a little money in that. And then you have the idea that some of the bags I've been seeing, the paper bags, a couple of places at a grocery store I was at recently, aren't even full-sized paper bags. They're like two-thirds. Now, I can see someone thinking, well, why provide the full-size bag when people don't have enough to fill them up? So they kind of have that. Now, I haven't seen them pull out a couple of different sizes, but I suppose if it's $0.10 cents for the bag, I ought to get the biggest bag I can for $0.10. Cents. So I think what they've done is they've cut back the size so there's like this sort of mini maxi bag that they have. And I also am a little suspicious that that makes you have to get two bags if you have very many groceries. I don't know. I've, I've become very sort of suspicious of the profit motive <laughs> in some of this stuff. And think about if you're Walmart or someplace and just abandoned the bags altogether. Think how much money you've saved. not buying any bags. So, and nobody can care because you just shrug and say, hey, it's not our idea. You know, legislature said you can't have plastic bags. We're not going to provide paper bags because we don't want to go through the trouble, allegedly, of charging you for them. And How do you do self-checkout very well effectively with that and Walmart is going to more and more self checkout like many places. So you don't have the expense of any bags whatsoever, the only bags available, either ones you bring in or you buy theirs. And they're not ten cents. So I'm beginning to see a pattern here that maybe the retailers weren't all that upset about it. You know, there's something to be said where if everybody has to do it, it gives you an excuse not to spend the money. Remember how so many places were cut their hours under COVID and so forth? Walmart's one of them. And now they just never went back to them again. A lot of gyms that used to be open, you know, 24 hours or at least till 11 o'clock every night, you know, they close early on weekends, they do this, they do that. Uh, there's all kinds of places like that that have just, you know, sort of the COVID stuff that went away, but not the uh, not the stuff that kind of saves money. It just kind of goes on and on. I guess it will go on and on until enough competition kicks up and people who are saying, you know, if I open another... uh you know, cake factory that stays open later, I'll get more business. And then when, if that happens, then the other places will start deciding they need to stay open later again too. But right now we've seen some pretty interesting things that have just not changed since COVID as long as they can get away with it. Now, some of the things we've seen that are very difficult are like pharmacies. Uh, I was speaking to some pharmacists and it's very difficult to find pharmacists now, uh, some of the pharmacies in our area and I know other areas and some across the country have had a hard time finding anybody to work in those pharmacies, that rather registered pharmacists. And they've been offering some pretty good money too. But it seems to me, and this is a little bit anecdotal, that a lot of people in college aren't very interested in these degrees that actually take a little work. You know, the other one that's very difficult to find someone, and you guys may be noticing this yourself, accountants, CPAs. These guys are completely overwhelmed in my area and some other areas. They can't find accounting students. The number of accounting students went way down. So they can't find people to come out and be accountants. Now, they can find somebody to come out and be a diversity, equity, and inclusion coordinator for their office, but that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for someone that can actually do some work and has a head for figures and can actually do something that's productive. seems to be a lot less of those kinds of degrees coming out. And these that require a lot of study and work and responsibility like pharmacy and accounting going by the wayside. It's an interesting phenomenon. Hi, everybody. We're back right here. Rick you're getting it right. Your political Viking right here on KNZZ, KGLN, 1192.7, 980, and 101.3, the internet, uh, podcasting, and wherever else we can get people to listen to us and irritate the left. Those two things are very important. Your listenership is the most important. Irritating people on the left is just sort of, you know... That's just sort of the topping on the uh, on the Sunday. But uh, we're back, and I wanted to bring up one thing quickly. I have some notes here about things I wanted to go through in the third part of the show. And one of them, of course, is the Supreme Court came out, as you guys probably know, in their extensive search for the culprit that released the Dobbs decision ahead of time. Now, I don't know if you can imagine what kind of uh, intrepid investigators that the Supreme Court probably makes, but they're marshaled. I wasn't aware they had a marshal, but they have a marshal that uh, keeps the order around there, and uh, I don't know if he just, uh, like his usually I thought his job might be just to come and shout, Oye, Oye, before they started, but apparently he's got more duties than that. And he conducted this investigation. They uh, did not want the FBI to come in. Of course, the FBI is much better at probably trying to uh, track down and arrest uh, insurgents on the court than they are finding anybody that uh, released these documents. So there there may be a mixed bag there for why they didn't put them on the case. But, of course, they came up, 20-page report, and surprisingly they came up with zilch. Yeah, yeah, there's a, a lot of uh, fussing around, talking to people, having them sign affidavits that said that they didn't do it. Yes, it's been my experience. That's really the way to conduct an investigation. You call the suspects in, and you just repeatedly ask them if they do it, and when they say that they didn't, Enough times, you just let them go. Or if they signed a document and swear they didn't do it, well, what what could be done after that? That's pretty much it. That was most of the investigation, it sounds like. They also did a lot of investigation, to be fair, on the forensic data that they had to see you know, if somebody emailed this out or something like that. As if somebody would go to the Supreme Court and use their servers and their uh, Internet to... Email something like that out. Most people working there uh, that are clerks and so forth are of a generation that they're very familiar with the technology out there and would realize that there's a dozen ways that that metadata, as they like to call it, which is all the data that goes with your emails and all of your electronic communications that says the the Internet service provider and other identifying things about it, they would know that that's going to be on there. So they're not going to do that. What probably happened, and I think this is pretty easy to understand, is somebody just printed it out and gave it to (laughs) someone. All of this forensic data, I I understand you have to do it because someone may have been, you know, without thinking, just emailed it to uh, Politico, which is, I think, who got it first. But I doubt that was the case. The easiest thing to do is just print it out, just like the old days. You don't have to have like a secret spy camera. Oh, that would be kind of cool. You know, those little tiny cameras they used to show in like in the shows from like the 60s and 70s, you know, the little tiny thing that goes chick, 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 like that, you know, and uh, take pictures of it and then put it on like a micro dot. Remember micro dots and then try and pass that off at a dead drop, maybe in a park in Washington or something. I don't think they have that kind of imagination. Although it would be really cool if they did, but I don't think they did. I think they just made a copy of it and gave it to someone. And I heard someone speculate on the radio on Friday that was saying that, well, they could have signed a document to say they, under threat of perjury, that they wouldn't uh, give it out, but then they could just take it home and leave it out and their significant other could give it to somebody. Yeah, like that would stop somebody who is going to leak something from the Supreme Court like this for the first time, I think, in, if not its history, for the last hundred years, that they would be so high-minded as to lay it out in the open and hope that their significant other gave it to someone I and mean, come on. They printed it out and they gave it to a reporter. Just like that. He just showed up, gave them a file, and wandered off. Now one of the things that is interesting is obviously the identity of this person who's handing it off would have had to be known. Otherwise you wouldn't have any any credibility that what you were getting was real. So you had to know the person and know that they had access to the information. So the identity, where they worked, all some more identifying information would have been known to the reporter that received this. It's it's not just going to be like, oh, some guy in the park handed me this decision that's going to come out in a few months, and I'm just going to run with it. So there's a lot more going on. They just don't have a way to track that down. And they, they don't have a way to, like, bring the reporters in and really grill them, right? So it's not like a national secret. That's the other thing. It's not a classified document. Now I know that if we wanted expert opinion on that we would go to Joe Biden cuz he understands how to how to keep classified documents. Is you take them home, you throw them in the garage and you let whomever you want to see them just wander in and take a look or you know, take a copy with their cell phone whatever the case might be. And that's of course how you handle classified documents. But I don't think that any of these things that it is technically illegal to pass them along. I mean, I don't think anybody thought about it in that way. They're not classified. They're not top secret or anything like that. Court considers them top secret. But I don't think that in and of themselves, the document transfer is a crime. Now, it may be a crime to remove information or material from the court servers or something like that, which is a little different, but... It's just not going to be something they're going to find anybody about. Plus, as I was listening to some of this stuff, uh, someone pointed out that the clerks, these are the people who work for the judges or the justices in this. Justice was higher sounding. Now, you can imagine what sort of clerks are working for some of these justices in terms of their political orientation, how they feel about this stuff. So the clerks are the ones that handle most of this stuff and, frankly, write a lot of the opinions. Uh, the justices may write some of them or, you know, big pieces of them, the clerk cleans it up, then they go through several drafts. So the clerks are heavily involved in most cases in writing this stuff, certainly doing the research on it for the opinion because there's a ton of research in there, so citing things from prior cases and so forth. There's only so much of this stuff that the justices are going to do themselves. And so the the individuals who are clerking for them are the ones that have real access to this and they only have a term of a year because they just get cycled through i mean the clerking for supreme court justice is a good way i mean it's it's part of that stepping stone into uh you know some white shoe law firm i've always wondered what white shoe means by the way that's a, that's a big big city law firm but uh white shoes hmm, sounds like golf shoes to me but anyway is to go clerk for Supreme Court justice, go to an Ivy League school, go to the Supreme Court, click for them for a bit, you know, and then uh, move on and uh, up to uh, Price Waterhouse accounting or perhaps uh, directly into one of the uh, the firms that uh, lobby and uh, put money through for Hillary Clinton. you know big, big big time stuff. So these guys are only there for a year, and their term is from July to July. So by the time these guys were really ramping up the investigation, the clerks who were working there were gone. Not even working there anymore. And my understanding was when they tried to question some of these people, they just lawyered up. Said, well, we're not talking to you. Don't, we don't have to talk to you and we're not going to talk to you. So they didn't say how many, but I did hear a story that said several of them did. So how far are you going to get in that kind of investigation? People aren't even there anymore. At least if they were new to the job, you could say, well, if you don't talk to us, then we're going to release you, and then we'll look very good. Instead, you're gone. You have your clerkship, and all you've done is just say, look, we're not interested in helping you with your investigation. And that's the end of that. So I don't know how they ever thought they were going to catch anybody. gives us some idea of kind of what we're dealing with here. Uh, hopefully, they'll tighten up their security there a little bit. I, I think they really thought that people would not release that because it would uh, – I think they just thought that, that people wouldn't do it, and <laughs> because it seems so unethical, they just don't know who they're dealing with, do they? But anyway, uh, that's that story. Uh, here's one other one that I wanted to bring up for you guys out there. This is all. This is by the way uh, on the website at uh, therickwagnershow.com or politicalviking.com. Either ones get you there. This I thought was really good. Left-leaning group funnels millions into yet another election office ahead of 2024. Well, that's an intriguing headline. So I put that out. But if you go to the story from the Daily Signal and you may recall that Mark Zuckerberg, you know, the Zook uh from uh, Facebook put over 416 million dollars, something like that. I can't remember if it's a 416 465. I mean, it's nothing to him, but it's a little bit of money difference to me, but uh and to everybody else, not to the federal debt obviously. Uh that's chicken feed, but you know, the difference between 416 and 465. But he he put a ton of money into elections, remember, in 2020, to help out. And, of course, they decided to help places out that didn't really need help, Uh, but uh, they poured a lot of money into them anyway. Instead of putting money into, like, poor areas where there's not a good tax base and it's hard to support elections and do the counts and hire people and stuff like that, where you'd think if you honestly wanted to help, that's where it would go. Oh, no. They, of course, and we've talked about this before, they funneled their money into places in Georgia and Wisconsin and Nevada, and battleground states uh, to try and uh, make sure that uh, things are being run the way they thought they ought to be run, I guess. Well, already, it's starting again. There's this group out there, the Center for Tech and Civic Life, that took $350 million from Zuckerberg in the 2020 election. Now, we don't know exactly what they're taking from him or anybody else now, but in April, they launched the US Alliance for Election Excellence as a 5-year, 80 million dollar project partnering with several organizations and there's several of these guys at Center for Secure and Modern Elections, uh, New which is part of the New Venture Fund and uh all of these guys go through several different incantations and they're usually tied to very wealthy groups or people. I'm not talking about regular wealthy, I'm talking about, you know, the the 10 and 20 billionaire types and above. And so they they funnel the money through them. Usually they give money to one group, that money gives to another group, and then that group gives money either directly to the election officials to use, or they go through even another group. So this one is in Clark County, which, of course, is part of Las Vegas, and which is incredibly important to elections in Nevada, as we all know from the last election, right? So they gave $3 million to it in 2020, uh, Well, they're actually giving $3 million to it in 2024, excuse me. Now, they do this through grants, right? These groups pass out these grants. If you're interested in getting this money, you write a grant application. As part of the grant application, I haven't seen these that they put out, but it is common for grant applications to have all sorts of things. We agree to do this, we agree to do that, and we're going to do all these different things. And then you get a grant. Now, when you get a grant... What happens when someone gives you money? Well, you're kind of a to them too, aren't you? Especially if you think you can get money for the next election, which apparently they're doing that. Um, let's see. I can't tell if they gave money to Clark County last time. I'm pretty sure they probably did, but I don't see it in the article. But I'm, I'll bet five bucks they did. So then it becomes in your interest to sort of go along with the way that this group wants you to run elections because they're giving you money. $3 million is significant money to run an election, and Clark County is getting Now, Clark County is, of course, run by Democrats anyway. So they're taking this money and putting it into running an election in a way that conforms to the grant application. Now, for any of you that are worried about this, and some of you wacky devils out there might be worried about it, might influence the way they do things too much, they agree not to use the money in any way – to try and influence the outcome of the election. So you can rest your conscience on that and say, whew, big rush of air out as you relax. Oh, they're not going to do it that way. So there you go. If you believe that, I hope you're happy. So this is how it starts, and there'll be more of it too. Now, some of these tech guys don't have quite the uh, the money they had last time, but remember, a few million dollars here and there to them, even at a drastically reduced net worth, is still nothing to them. So I don't understand how private organizations get to give money to public branches of government to do – well, I mean, of course, I guess it happens all the time. Different places give grants and uh, give things to governmental organizations. You know, law enforcement is a good example of that. So this is how they're getting in there. I just think that if we want to keep these guys out of our elections, we need to make it illicit for them to receive money from outside groups. Look, elections are supposed to be important. I know we don't treat them like they are, but they're supposed to be important. And if they are, we need to worry about outside influence. And outside influence just isn't the Russians. Outside influence are people who are probably more dangerous than the Russians in terms of you know, how they can influence our elections themselves and the damage they can do inside of our country. And that's, of course, some of the people in the tech side and these, you know, ESG governed uh, corporations. Let's see, that's that ethical and social guidance or something like that. I try and I think I've blocked it out. But these guys need to be watched more than about anybody else when it comes to things like elections and influencing stuff like that. And th- I just don't think they should be giving money to people who count the votes. It seems kind of screwy to me. Now, if a bunch of right-wing people, I hate to use that term because it's it used all the time now, right-wing, right-wing types, you know, people believe in the Constitution, extremists. If they do this, you can bet there would be a hue and cry. Like, what's going on? Nothing about it. So... I just thought I'd let you guys know. It's starting already. We'll see where it turns out. But uh, I think that now that people are noticing, paying attention to this, and know how the scam is being run through these grants and so forth, maybe enough if enough light is put on this, someone will take some kind of action. It, I, it's not going to be taken by anybody in Clark County <laughs> in terms of government. No, they're going to think this is just fine. And it's probably not going to be taken by... The federal government, because it's pretty much still run by Democrats, except for the House, and no matter what they pass, anything like this to try and say, you know, uh, as in terms of national voting, in terms of giving money out, stuff like that, assuming they can even reach that under their purview, isn't going anywhere. So it's going to have to happen at a state level or just grassroots. and Or enough light has to be shown on these characters. In other words, when they start getting this money... The people who live in Clark County or whatever county you're at, if this starts happening, people have really got to say, where is this going and what's it being used for exactly? You have a right to know. I mean, despite the fact that money's coming from the outside, the way the office is conducted is still the right of the citizen to know. So people are going to have to find out if this is happening. And if it is, they need to be told exactly what it's being used for. And then you probably will hear an interesting story about, you know, well, we're using it for drop boxes to, uh, you know, have 20 different drop boxes in the same location so that it can be very confusing for people to, uh, count how many votes came from there or something. I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't like the whole thing. Anyway, so there's that. There's some craziness out here. I don't even know. There was something I'd put down. I mean, I go back and forth on this. There's some Michigan school board member, uh, who, and this was also in the news, just gives you an idea of what we're dealing with here, uh, in in terms of the way people talk about this stuff. And this school board member says that uh, whiteness is evil, and uh, really doesn't like <laughs> some of the the parents that are showing up and complaining about things with the school board. And I was reading; I happened to be reading some of her tweets. These, these are not things that are secret, okay? These are these are things that she tweets out. You know, these are statements from her uh, <laughs> that she puts out. And it's it gets pretty, you know, sad to see people saying stuff like this. I mean, here's something that's a tweet from her. Let's see. I'm going to read one that's not quite as inflammatory. Let's see. Found another job eventually. Thankfully, uh, the effects of this stuff last working, living in around with white folks is incredibly difficult. Being subjected to them, their violence and treachery is severely abrasive, but they sleep peaceful at night. It's just tough out here. So that's her thinking. Now, if you read this and if you read some more of them, what you would see is this very interesting language that sort of comes out of these diversity, equity, and exclusion seminars and probably college now. I'm sure it comes straight out of the college. The way to mask this sort of uh, attitude that is really pretty unattractive, but dress it up a little bit as some sort of uh, sociological discussion, right? Um, you know, it, it's the systemic racism thing. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, a system is racist. Okay, a different way to phrase what you just said. In what way exactly? And then they start getting into all of this vague stuff and... That it just ends up that their opinion is that certain groups of people are just bad, and they treat other groups of people badly, and that's it. And that is that's what it comes down to. But it gets dressed up in this language. The language is always sort of interesting to hear, because it it ends up being all the same. It has that same kind of strange uh, seminar, uh, a bunch of people sitting in a classroom with a professor in like you know a work shirt. Uh, sitting on his desk, uh, talking about you know how bad everything is. That's how it comes off. But it's all dressed up in this sort of hoity-toity language, and it's ever so often it's interesting to read. But it's it's a dangerous way of thinking. It it's just dividing people up in a way that can't help but put them against each other. And it also is constantly this philosophy provides people with a way out if they've had a disappointment. You know, they didn't get the job they wanted. They didn't get admitted to the school they wanted, or something. Instead of saying, "Well, I didn't do as well as the others," I got to go back and try again, which lots of times is a, is a system that improves the person. They immediately get to opt out by saying, "Well, I didn't get it because of something that doesn't really have anything to do with me. It's the way I look, or the way I sound, or where I come from. It doesn't. It's not really me. I don't have to make any changes in my life. I don't have to improve anything about myself. I don't have to study harder." have to do anything because that's just the way this is it's outside of me it takes the problems a person experiences in their life either through their own personality or the deficiencies they've had in education or something all of which could probably be corrected and it takes that outside of themselves and it makes it about them in a way that is our good word immutable these things that they can't change their race or where they're from or whatever the case may be it means that they can just assign that. Say, well, that's the other person's fault because they're X, Y, or Z. There's has nothing to do with me. I don't have to make any changes. I don't have to try and study harder or do anything like that. This is a really destructive thing to any kind of productive society. Anything else aside, just that attitude in terms of being productive. You guys stay productive. We'll be back next week.